0: Hey there, ghosties. Welcome to episode 75 of the Ghost Lights Podcast. Today's guest is William Missouri Downs, famed playwright, sitcom writer, author, and all-around just honest soul. I was so thankful to have him on tonight. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please stay tuned. We will be taking next week off, so you have plenty of time to catch up on all 75 episodes. We're on Spotify, iTunes, and Podbean.com wherever you get your podcasts from. Now, Dan, give us War by the Hypnotic Brass Ensemble. back ghosties it's episode 75 of the ghost let podcast and it's your boy sam gilstrap i am not the goat but i do fit the description um we are back today with a a man that i've has been a part of my life for quite some for quite a length of time since i moved back to colorado and started studying theater um i had to read his book in my playwriting class it's it's william missouri downs everybody the 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 prolific playwright, William Missouri Downs. Bill, how the hell are you? I'm good. I'm good. good. Happy to be in Denver. Nice. How, how have you been spending the last year? Um, just writing and, yeah, and writing trying to wash and, your hands? Yeah. I
1: mean, for me, COVID wasn't a big deal. I'm, I'm a playwright. I, I'm alone all the time anyway. Mm. I mean, days go by weeks without me talking to someone else. So I, I hardly noticed. And uh, since I... You know, on the, in the evenings, I hold up service stations. Wearing a mask wasn't a problem either.
0: Oh, good, good. That's yeah. that's really nice. Any success yeah. <laughs> in the uh, hold up department? No, no.
1: But I don't know. I, I'm a silly human being, so I say things okay. like that.
0: That's a. I'm. I'm just as silly. So the the, the sillier we can make this, the better. Um, we need to have some laughs these days. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I was just going to start asking you if there's like a, a, a trajectory of places, like if I knew which gas stations to avoid over <laughs> the next few hours. that'd be great. <laughs> The
1: playwright's got to make a living, damn it, you know?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. They're finding like pages of scripts <laughs> at every location you've hit. Yeah,
1: basically, yes. <laughs>
0: nice. <laughs> well, this one's about a love triangle. I don't know what's yeah. happening here now. <laughs> With the pandemic, um, for you as a playwright, not seeing that many people, was that muddying up your process in terms of creating dialogue? during this time or not really no
1: not at all i just I, I plowed forward and continued writing i write every day i'm a i'm a super lark uh mm-hmm. i have a genetic mutation that uh, makes me automatically wake up between three and four every morning wow. and that way since i was a kid i was recently studied at the university of california um, uh, uh, which went san francisco they took my blood and uh, are looking at my dna trying to figure out why I wake up so early in the morning uh, the the nickname for people like me are super larks. We get up at ungodly hours.
0: Wow, yes yeah. th- and do you not feel fatigued throughout the day because of that?
1: I'm the type of person who gets out of bed and starts vacuuming. I mean i I pop up and I go.
0: Um, hmm. it's,
1: it, we're doing this at seven o'clock at night, and I gotta tell you I may doze off, okay, but, uh, yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, I'll try not to take it personally. I am <laughs> very insecure as the podcast. <laughs> well, I would. get tired early
1: and go to bed yeah. early. And
0: I wake there you up. go. Yeah. Nice, yeah. Nice. Okay. Well, well but, hopefully you've only had the one white claw and you're not too dozy. That's true. That I'm having area.
1: a white claw as we do
0: this. Nice. I am I'm drinking a Mexican lager from Comrade Brewery. Say Nosvidaniya to your thirst, everybody. Conrad <laughs> Brewing. <laughs> Drinking
1: is a requirement if you're a playwright, but White Claw means that I'm obviously not too serious
0: about it. Well, you're, you're, you're just a classy, you know, got like half a foot <laughs> in the water of playwriting. That's all. That's
1: right. So you're yeah.
0: Tr- yeah. You're not trying to destroy yourself.
1: <laughs> not yet.
0: Not yet. I, yeah. 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 We're not, we're not in the, the, the like full bottle suburban at 1 a.m no throws of writing yet that's that's why no. for the best
1: no, it's still it's still it's still it's still going <laughs> for, yeah
0: so tell me bill theater how did it happen how did your story begin
1: um, you know i was listening to your podcast and i've fallen in love with listening to people and how they how they come to theater mm-hmm. and with every single one of them how they come to theater is a need. is a It's a cure for something that's missing in their lives, mm. and, and I have to say, it was pretty much the same with me. Um, uh, although I'm jealous of all these other stories because m- mine was was much worse. Um, I came from a extremely violent, awful family. Mm. Um, uh, it was filled with a narcissists and a psychopaths, lights and. There was all sorts of violence and domestic violence and physical violence and emotional violence. This, this is how bad my child was. Mm. It was. Have you ever seen the documentary "The Last Ten Days of Hitler"? Yes. Neat, that that meets uh, uh, "Running with Scissors." All right. That's my child. <laughs> I mean, it, it, this is how bad it was. When, when when I was a young kid, my my father would come into my bedroom with yeah. a shotgun. And what? wake me up and say, give me a reason not to blow my head off, which, you know, is kind of a lot of responsibility for a 12 year old, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I I, mm. I I, grew up in a screwed up, terrible, um, you know, you look up in the dictionary, you look up the playwright's childhood and there's a mm-hmm. picture of me. I, I mean, that's how bad it was. Um and uh, I, w- I was told I was stupid, I, I was uh, flunking out of high school, and I, I went into the, uh, the counselor my junior year and said, you know, he said, what do you want to do if you graduate from high school? Because if was, was a real possibility. Mm. A- and I said, I wanted to go to college. And the, uh, the counselor began laughing so hard that something came out his nose. Um, yeah, I had no chance whatsoever, but my senior year, I was walking down the hallway and this guy walked up to me that I knew. And he said, Hey, I just got cast in the community theater, uh, production, but I'm already cast in the high school production. You got to come in here and audition so I can tell the director I'm leaving the cast. And I went in and auditioned Mm -hmm. and I got the role, um, and, and, and I kind of liked it. So I found a little place called Northern Michigan University way up in the upper peninsula of Michigan and market. That's where
0: my mom went. Are you serious?
1: Yes. I went to Northern Michigan. Oh my God. The snowy shores of Lake Superior. They couldn't get anyone to go there. I mean, it's the most isolated place in the world. And (laughs) they had a, they had a a, a program there. Try to attract students called Mm -hmm. right to try. Yeah. What it meant was if you had, um, no matter what your grade point was, you could go to this university for one semester. And at the end of your first semester, if you didn't have a 2.0, a C average, you were out, no exceptions, no mm. appeal. All right. So All right. I went there. Try to pick up, try to pick up women with that. What are you? I'm a Rhodes scholar. What are you? Right to try. It just it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. <laughs> Um, I walked in, and, and I was just turned uh, 18. I, I started college a month after my 18th birthday. I had no knowledge of the world. They said, what do you want to major in? And I said, I don't know. And they said, well, what did you enjoy in high school? And I said, marching band. And they said, you can't major in that. And um, they said, what else? And I said, I was in a play. And they said, you're a theater major. And that was it. That's how I became a theater major. Wow. I started thinking I might, you know, be going to a small university, you know, in the middle of nowhere.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I began thinking maybe I could become an actor. And um, then my junior year, I developed viral encephalitis. If, if, if everything wasn't shitty enough in my life already, mm-hmm. uh, it's a virus of the, of the brain. And I was just deathly ill for an entire semester. I couldn't go home, I didn't have a home to go to. So I just laid in my dorm room and when it was over, um, I began noticing that I had a slight stammer and mm-hmm. aphasia would, would hit me now and then I have to concentrate at moments to make sure that I don't, that I don't stammer. Mm-hmm. Um, in spite of that, I got myself into an MFA program at the University of Illinois and uh, I was terrible. I'm surprised, I, I mean people, they, they would make fun of me because I would go up on my lines Mm -hmm. And what they didn't know was, I wasn't going up on my lines. I couldn't talk. My brain would short circuit and I couldn't say the next word. Mm. And, you know, in those days, you know, today, everyone is so honest. Oh, I have mental illness. I have this, I have that. I, I I don't know. I have a goiter. Everyone is sitting there saying what their their problems are. And in those days, you kept those things secret. I mean, you never said anything like that. And and, and, and so I, I never told anyone if they, they said, you're going up on your lines, Bill goes up on his lines. That was better than saying, you know, his brain isn't working. Well, yeah. as time went on, I began to realize that acting was not going to happen. The, the the stammer wasn't going to go away. Um, the aphasia wasn't going to go away. When it, when it happens, sometimes it can be so bad that I, I can't talk for like a minute. Um, so I started writing dialogue. I had no training at it. And I ended up, of course, doing what all first-time playwrights do, writing about their screwed up childhood. And uh, I, I wrote a terribly screwed up play about a screwed up childhood. Mm. And I gave it to the one of the professors at the University of Illinois who had published the play. And he informed me that I was not a writer, that I would never be a writer, that I had so little talent as a writer that even my children would not become writers. I Holy mean, it was shit. oh god, it was terrible, and I was ready to throw everything in. And Did go, you like slap this teacher's kids or something? I attract assholes. It's just there's something about my personality. I attract assholes. <laughs> well, I threw the play away, and it say was all me. <laughs> no, it really was. It was
0: <laughs> over. With. Yeah.
1: And um, what was the play and, called? Oh, I think it was called "Reflections in My Father's Eye." Ooh. Oh, yes. It was a deep, it was, it was a deep, deep play mm-hmm. written by someone suffering from deep, deep anxiety. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, my Saving Grace was a wonderful playwright named Milan Stitt. And uh, he had a play on, on Broadway called um, The Runner's Stumbles, a great play. And he came to campus at the University of Illinois because they were doing his play. And a friend of mine took the play, my play out of the trash, gave it uh, to me and said, you are going to go give it to him. And so I just shy, I would never had confidence, walked up and, you know, asked him to read my play. And he said he was a wonderful person. He -hmm. said, yes, I'll read it. I'll read it tonight. I'll meet you tomorrow right here at the same time and tell you what I think. And the next day he met me and he gave me notes and he said, I think you've got talent. Why don't you come to New York after you graduate and join the Circle Rep and learn playwriting under me and and Lamford Wilson? So at 23, I I arrived in New York City with $500 in my pocket. I had nowhere to stay. I crashed on a friend's couch for a little while and then that grew old and I couldn't find, I, I told him I had a place to stay and I went out to the park and I was going to start sleeping in the park because I had nowhere to go. Mm. And by chance, I found the Benjamin Franklin Transient Hotel on the corner of 77th and Broadway. It's now called uh, the Art House Hotel. It's a luxury hotel. and That's only where I stay when I go to New York. Nice. But then it was a wow. filthy, horrible uh transient hotel. I mean, I had a bed, a sink, and so many cockroaches that they would crawl on me at night that would be in my food. Um, it was awful. And, and, and I, I would go in and, uh, to the Circle Rep twice a week and listen to readings. And, and we, we would go up to Lamford Wilson's house in Sag Harbor and they would have whole weekends of great playwrights reading their plays and notes. And so I learned from the best. And then finally, they read a play of mine. And it was, uh, again, like all early playwrights, all early playwrights write about their identity. They always write about Mm -hmm. their identity. They can't move beyond it. And so I wrote Mm -hmm. Death of a Salesman meets Desire Under the Elms meets The Last 10 Days of Hitler, all right? I mean, it was, this was it. And uh, good actors, there was a reading, you know, the audience, and about, Three minutes in, someone laughed. And then someone else laughed. And then a group of people laughed. And then then there was a guffaw. And I'm sitting in the back row going, oh, my God. Oh, my God, this isn't happening. This isn't happening. And then about 30 minutes in, one of the actors in the reading had to remove his glasses to wipe the tears because he was laughing so hard. When it was over, I had to walk up to the front. And I'm just sitting there completely embarrassed. And the first question was, You meant this to be a dark comedy, didn't you? And I was smart enough to say yes, Mm. even though I hadn't intended it that way at all. And that's how I found out I could write funny. Mm. I had no idea I had a sense of humor until that moment. Um. As I always say, comedy comes from pain. You know, that that's why so many stand-up comedians come from Somalia, you know. Oh no! <laughs> sorry, you know I want to bleep that joke. I'm, i I I tell terrible jokes. <laughs> uh, well, I said was oh,
0: I mean,
1: <laughs> what? Yeah, sorry. It's,
0: it's we're, We could we could sit here all day dissecting <laughs> that and then like trying to make amends. But I think I think I it's think what you're safe. saying. Yeah, it's I I get I get what the joke is trying to do, yeah, and yeah. because it is so it, it it is it's it's being born out of pain of others, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's so much truth behind it. Yeah. Yes, that's why I'm laughing because that's that, that's an uncomfortable true guffaw.
1: <laughs>
0: Sorry. No, don't apologize. apologize. It's like, it's I watched I watched it. the horrors of Somalia on TV <laughs> for a so long tough. time, going like. I don't know how to help these people. You see
1: why I get in trouble with my comedy sometimes? Boom. Hey, well. but Yeah, well, I got to tell you, at that time, another wonderful thing happened to me. I was Mm. acting in an outdoor drama down in Alabama in the summer. And Mm. I met another theater major at the University of Montevallo in Montevallo, Alabama. And uh, she became the love of my life. And she quit school and moved up to New York and lived... In a transient hotel, we had a single bed where we had to put our chairs against the bed with our winter coats, and we'd sleep in mm-hmm. our winter coats. But we went and told her mother and, uh, and her father in uh, Birmingham that, um, you know, that their daughter was going to run off with a Yankee playwright and live in a <laughs> transient hotel. Can I give you re- your, 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 your uh, audience advice? Don't do that. Okay. Write okay. a letter. There's no need, there's no need to confront them face to face with this information. So um, we went into the house in in Birmingham, Alabama, and halfway through, uh, um, uh, Lucy's, uh, Luann, Lucy's uh, mother, Billie Jean, turned to her father, Itchy, and said, Itchy, get the gun. And Itchy said, I'm not going to get the gun. And... uh, she said, well, you're not, I'll get it. And she got up and walked in the other room and we, we could hear her like rustling through the closet and loading one into the chamber. And it she turned to us and said, well, if I was you, I'd run. And, and we did, we ran and uh, we had no family and mm. we lived. I, I, I look back at what she did. I don't know why. It was either stupidity or love, but mm. maybe, maybe they're the same thing. But we lived as grad students. I remember one weekend, all we had was popcorn and some potatoes to eat. Mm. Uh, I mean, we were truly uh, dirt poor. didn't see dentists, didn't see doctors. Um, And I just kept learning. And then uh, eventually I I got tired of living like a grad student. And um, I applied to UCLA Film School. And Mm -hmm. I got in. Couldn't believe it. I got in in the screenwriting program and we moved to Los Angeles and found a beautiful little condo, a little uh, uh, bungalow right near the UCLA campus. Uh, it, was, it had once been owned by Loretta Young. Uh, we found love letters that, Loretta Young, that the Rocoto Matoban had written to Loretta Young's sister in the basement and then contacted him and sent them to him. And, and I went to film school and got a, my second MFA. This one I did quite well at. And one day I just made the realization, what am I doing? I like comedy. I like writing funny plays. Put those together. Sitcoms. Mm. And, and and so I, I set out to uh, try to become a sitcom writer. Of course, there are no classes in that or anything. Um, and so I just said I'd write one spec sitcom script every two weeks for a year. And at the end of a year, I would... Um, I, would, I would evaluate, reevaluate, you know. And uh, about a year later I was at a reading of a play of mine in Los Angeles and a uh, person came up to me and he said, you're funny. Did you know that? And I said, yeah, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. kind of occurred to me. And he said, have you ever thought about writing for sitcoms? And I said, I've got 20 spec scripts in my trunk. And he said, well, look, my, my, my roommate from college, I think is what he said, Uh, is the executive producer of a sitcom that everyone will have forgotten. It it starred uh, uh, Paul Reiser. It was called My Two Dads.
0: Oh, I love that show.
1: Yeah. And he said, I'll I'll show it to him. And two weeks later, my agent called and says, you got a pitch at My Two Dads. They want to see you. And I went in and got the pitch ready and walked in and pitched and afterwards called my agent. They said they bought the third pitch. The third pitch that I did in Hollywood was always the seller. And um, I went home and you get, you're given one week to, to write. And so it's, mm. the, the pressure is, some young writer apparently turned to some producer in Hollywood and they said, how long do you need to write it? And the standard answer is one week. And mm. this young writer apparently said two weeks. And the executive producer turned to him and said, son, I can rewrite the Bible in two weeks with jokes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, halfway through writing it, the phone rang. And it was my agent. She said, what are you doing? I said, I'm fretting, I'm worrying. I mean, writing comedy is one thing, but writing comedy under pressure is very Mm -hmm. difficult. And she said, well, stop it, get in your car, get over to Sunset Gower Studios. They just hired you as a staff writer. And I, I, I went over there and I got past the gates and was trying to find a place to park. And I looked over and there was these workmen, they were painting my name on a parking spot. And I went, holy shit, this just got real. And so I was a staff writer and I made a shitload of money and I hated it. My mm. hair started falling out and the pressure. I mean, I was at a urinal one day and one of the other writers came up beside me and he said, I'm peeing blood. And I said, wow. he said, what should I do? And I said, well, go see a doctor. And he said, I can't. If I leave the room, the comedy room where the writing takes place, he said, they, the funny thing might be said, and they, they'll realize they don't need me. Mm. And, um, uh, I was there under a screamer, which wasn't good for me. The same guy has produced, I can say his name, but I won't. He still works out there. And mm. just about every sitcom you've heard on is, is produced by him, but he would burst into my office and just scream at me. And with my my childhood being that, not, yeah. not good, not good. Mm. So um, then I sold a movie to Ron Howard and, and another movie came out that was like it. And so it didn't get made. And then I... I wrote episodes of, uh, I don't know, one of my favorite shows, Amen, with Sherman Helmsley and Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And um, then one day my wife turned to me and said, I just got a letter. I've been accepted to the National Theater Conservatory for an MFA in voice speech and dialects. And I went, I've got a reason I can leave. Mm. And I hated writing for sitcoms. I thought it was going to be. You know, Buddy Sorrell, and Dick Van Dyke and Sally Rogers and the, and and all fun and games, and instead they were narcissists and crazy people. And so we moved to Denver. My wife went to college, went to the Denver Center, and got her MFA in voice, speech, and dialects, and then she became a college professor. And I went back to my first love, which is always playwriting. And then, as you mentioned, wrote the playwriting book, wrote two of them, and a screenwriting book, and. Um, an introduction to theater book that's been a cash cow. Uh, mm-hmm. It's in its fourth edition, and, wow. and um, we've moved all over. We've lived in lived in a beach house down in Gulf Shores, Alabama. And I was a beach bum, and then until a year ago, I was living up in uh, near Red Feather Lakes in a cabin. And those terrible fires came, mm-hmm. and uh, they twice it came within four miles burning down we were evacuated and evacuated again and then evacuated again and we were down in denver and i picked up a paper and i saw a condo um overlooking cheesman park and i said that's where i want to live and we went over and bought it and so i don't know how this happened but we're now living back in denver again oh, and i've got a you're you're my office.
0: neighbor where are you i am on like colfax and williams like i'm I'm right by a cheeseman.
1: I'm on Humboldt. Oh, man. I'm on Humboldt. We gotta get
0: coffee sometime. Let's we, get gotta get there. we have right
1: there. I love the neighborhood.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful there. I'm so, I mean, I got a crummy little basement apartment, but it's, I love that place. I love the neighborhood. It's I so love fun.
1: the neighborhood. I, I, yeah. I found this place and we walked in and it's got a 24 foot deck overlooking the park. And I just went, holy shit. I don't care how much. I don't care yeah. how much, and and I and I maybe it was stupid, maybe it was love, you know. <laughs> uh, They're kind of the same thing. Yes, yeah, so I kind of the same thing.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: yeah, though that so that's how it became. I uh, um, I, I, uh, I I've been running away from my childhood now mm. for decades, and it keeps catching up with me. And um, I, I desperately want to write the perfect father-son story, I, I and I want to laugh my way out of tragedy.
0: Mm. Yeah. How, with the work that you've done thus far, do you feel like you're close to telling that story?
1: <laughs> well, I just got one, a play that I worked on many years ago, and then uh, uh, put aside and came back and wrote another version of it and put aside. This went on for over 20 years, and mm. finally... I went back to it a few years ago and uh, it's called, How to Steal a Picasso. It's my 12th published play and it's based on one of the original ones, only yeah. now full comedy. Um, but um, no, you don't get over that. Yeah. Um, when, when, there's, when there's that much violence, um, you, 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 you have to laugh. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: you have to be able to laugh. And so, um, uh, that—that's what I do. Mm-hmm. I, I make myself laugh, and it's the only band aid I've got. Um, when I lose my sense of humor, uh, my my childhood will, will will catch up with me.
0: Yeah. What do you do? You feel like laughing the at the things that you need to laugh at? Has that gotten harder over the course of your career?
1: Oh no, I. Yeah, but you know, what, what am I drinking? White Claw, one White, white Claw. I'm a laugher. Yeah, yeah. and I fortunately <laughs> married uh, someone who has a terrific sense of humor and a very dark sense of humor. And we mm. just, we, we cut each other up mm. every night. We were told there's some poor comedian. Did you hear there's some poor comedian who did cat jokes only? A couple of years ago, he jumped off the roof of like the, the comedy club in Los Angeles and killed himself. Wow. And I was telling my wife about this and, and, you know, like reading it to her. And she said, did he land on his feet? You know, we, we have a dark <laughs> sense of humor. A dark <laughs> sense of humor. And, and, and we just lay in bed and cut each other up. Um, she came from an equally kind of screwed up family. And uh, so we've been together since we were children. We, we mm. uh, um, I remember when I first met her, because I, I was a sleepwalker. I mean, mm. it, it was so deeply into my, psycho- my psychology that I would get up and, and talk in my sleep and walk in my sleep once. Mm. After I met her, I'm, I'm in bed with, with my lovely wife. We, we weren't married then, but my arm was over her. And at two in the morning, she woke up and I whispered in her ear, don't move or they'll kill us. And went back to bed. Oh, she's like, she walked up there do you know what you did last night? You know? Yeah. Fucked up child. Fucked up child. Mm -hmm. So if people meet me, you know, what can I say? I, Mm I, I, that first play I ever wrote that was read at the circle rep, I was hoping that they would like take up a collection to pay for my psychiatrist, but, uh, they (laughs) laughed instead. And that was the same (laughs) for me.
0: Yeah. We were talking before we got into this podcast today, and you wanted to talk about the about comedy and how it is exists now in the world, and some of the changes that you feel have been happening around that. Would you care to elaborate?
1: Yeah. Have you? Do you notice how afraid we are to laugh at ourselves? Mm-hmm. I mean, look at the ancient Greeks, um, four hundred four, four hundred six B.C. The, they were in the middle of the Peloponnesian War. There wasn't a single family who didn't have someone die in combat or, or, or of plague. They were in terrible shape. The, their democracy was about to end and yet they, they filed down to the theater of Dionysus and watched comedies that made fun of themselves. Um, today, we've lost our sense of humor. And as we lose our sense of humor, mental illness is rising. Look at the younger generation, they're afraid to laugh. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm I'm worried. Any society that loses their sense of humor and the ability to laugh at themselves, um, they go insane. Uh, The United States and Britain were known for their sense of humor at one time. I I would write the craziest comedies. and, and they would be produced. I, I wrote a comedy called The Exit Interview that won a, a rolling premiere from the National New Play Network. It was a comedy about a college professor who's laid off by his university, is going through his exit interview and a gunman enters the building and there's a school shooting. Mm. It's a dark, dark comedy. People would produce it that was being produced by, by Concord, Sam French published it mm. five years ago. It died. People would call me and say, I loved it. I laughed. My wife, I gave it to my wife. She laughed until she was crying. But we can't do it, Bill, because someone might complain.
0: Yeah.
1: In the old days, you know, I'd write a controversial co- uh, comedy, and someone would get up and walk out, and I'd walk up to the executive producer and say, I'm so sorry. And they'd say, screw it. You know, they came to a musical called Fascism the Musical. They, they were probably good. I, I did. I actually wrote fascism the musical. They, they didn't think they would be insulted. They walked out. Screw them. Today, if someone walks out. Theaters are in a panic. Mm-hmm. They're, they're going. Oh my god. What if they have a Twitter following? They could get Twitter attacks. We could get. It uh, could get in the papers. We could lose customers. Mm-hmm. We are afraid to laugh. And. We, we're, we're depending on people with no sense of humor to tell us what's funny. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, here's an example. It's a, the, the example of the exit interview is an extreme one, but
0: mm-hmm.
1: one of your directors said she doesn't do uh, couch comedies or couch plays, all right, with a couch. Mm-hmm. There's a couch. Yeah, yeah. I've written those. I've written them that aren't, uh, you know. But yeah. uh, a couch comedy of mine, I, 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 it was published again by Sam French, and... Uh, It was called Kosher Lutherans. It was a comedy about a young Jewish couple who can't have children. And they meet a young 17-year-old girl who's who's pregnant and out of wedlock. She's from Iowa. and, 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 And they have her over to sign a contract so they can adopt her child. And when the child comes over, pregnant as hell, they realize she doesn't know they're Jewish. And all she knows coming from Iowa is that Jews killed Jesus and control Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And so they desperately, in order to get the contract signed, pretend to be Lutherans. Okay. I think it's one of my funniest comedies I've ever written. It's, 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 a, it's a belly laugh. Theater says to me, oh, Bill, you know, uh, Lutherans might be insulted by this. And I said, What, by Jell O jokes? I mean, that's about as far as I go. <laughs> well, but the Jews, you know, the Jews in it, they, they give up their identity. Mm-hmm. And identity is important today. And they, they pretend to be Lutherans and, you know, people who, that could insult Jews, you know, and I go, they go mm-hmm. back to being Jews at the end. You know, after I do every possible Lutheran Jewish joke I can do, it has a happy ending. And no, can't do it. Can't do it. Someone, 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 mm-hmm. one person. It takes one person to say, "That's not funny," and you're dead.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so, I, I, uh, I, I'm not being uh, produced quite as much lately. My most, the play that I'm getting produced the most, like five or six, seven times a year right now, is a, a comedy called uh, "Women Playing Hamlet," mm-hmm. uh, about a woman who's been cast as Hamlet, and but it's not terribly controversial. You know, the women play all the men's roles. I have revenge on Shakespeare in it, mm-hmm. um, but it's not a play that you'd go. I and mean, it's fun; it's very funny. Um, but there's there's nothing controversial in it whatsoever, mm-hmm. and that's left and right being produced.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, so I'm here. Here's the problem. Contrast: there are many different types of comedy. There's punch-up comedy, there's punch-down comedy. Punch-down comedy is where people of, uh, with, uh, with privilege make fun of people below them. That's been outlawed by our society. There's mm-hmm. punch-up uh, comedy. This is where people who have less power make fun of people above them. Mm-hmm. This is approved by our, our comedy, by our society and it can be just as mean as punch-down comedy. But there's comedy of contrast. Human beings are unique. We are the only species that we know who can do cognitive dissonance.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: No one else can do it. We have the ability to hold two different thoughts in our head. We can look at the world full of death and destruction and horrible disease and, 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 and children dying and, and of cancer and all these horrible things. And yet, also talk about a kind, loving God. That's cognitive dissidence. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you think this way, and you really go into both camps, you will become very depressed. But we've evolved a mechanism to deal with it. And that is laughter. The same thing, absurdism, Mm-hmm. is the same thing absurdism is contrast when you are at a moment in your life where it is most absurd it's probably because the most extreme contrast is occurring and what is your reaction you laugh mm-hmm. you laugh my you know we, my, my wife and I don't have children we never had children but our dogs are our children and we've had to put two down now mm-hmm. the first one I put down I'd never experienced that I, I've cried harder for the death of my dogs than any relative or any friend. And as we came away from the vet, and she was no longer in the car with us, strangely, our reaction was laughter. We began laughing at the funny things that Val did. We Mm -hmm. were crying through our tears. And, and it helped us through this moment. Mm-hmm. If you cannot laugh, we will have serious, serious mental illness.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, you know, it's, it's terrible because I, I can remember years ago, You know I don't know if you remember this, uh, some Republican legislatures came up with this thing about three strikes and you're out. Yes. You committed three crimes on your third crime you were sent to prison for the rest of your life. And I I remember thinking, we got people serving life sentences for stealing a candy bar or something. Mm -hmm. These damn Republicans, they're so damn awful. Mm -hmm. Well, the liberals have topped them. Now it's one strike and you're out.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Comics, comics used to, you know, they would go to small comedy uh, clubs and they would tell jokes, try out jokes. And it didn't work. They'd get booed. Someone would, you know, shout they're insulted or, or they'd storm out and they go, okay, i got to adjust that one. They'd try it the next night at the small comedy club and someone else would be mad. They'd try it again. And finally, they'd hone the joke to where it worked. Then they'd take it to the Tonight Show, right? Yeah. Now, with everyone having a camera, you try the joke out, you make a mistake, it's not, didn't work, didn't work. You're recorded, you're on YouTube, your career is over. One strike and you're out. Yeah. Even comedians don't want to do comedy anymore. Mm. Um, We've we got to stop taking this all quite so
0: seriously. Mm-hmm. I think um, uh, Ferris Bueller said it best, if you take life too seriously, you'll never make it out alive. Yeah. Or was that, that Van Wilder? I don't remember. It was, I, I, yeah. I didn't some, see some collegiate icon of my youth <laughs> yes
1: yes yes yeah. no, it, 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 we, we are we are truly it isn't that we are uh, split politically it isn't that there's massive differences in wealth um, this country has changed more in my life than I think in my grandmother's or and she went from wagons to you know the moon launch Um I don't recognize this country anymore.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I don't recognize either political party. um, And I don't feel safe. I self edit everything I say. Mm -hmm. I don't talk to people. You know, one of the joys of being a playwright is you get to write about people who aren't like you. It's one of my joys to be able to research and interview and and try to stimulate my imagination. I honestly believe that if you talk to enough people, if you, 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 you read enough biographies, enough philosophy, if you go and live like they do, if you take on someone else's shoes with imagination, you can write dialogue and I've done it where people walk up and go, how did you know? How did you know that's my life? Mm -hmm. And there's someone who's completely unlike me. Now I'm afraid to talk to other people. Mm -hmm. I'm afraid that I'll make a joke. I'm afraid that I'll I'll say the wrong thing. I'll ask even the wrong question. It's best Mm -hmm. to remain silent and alone. And those are two things I'm good at as a playwright. Simply watch let the world go don't get involved
0: Mm
1: -hmm. i brought a downer on it
0: wow no but i mean i it's a downer sure but there's also i mean it it's a perspective that i've i've been seeing kind of grow even more and more within myself of especially over this last year um i've learned that i don't know if it's i've learned or gained the perspective on like the people who Make me feel rewarded for being who I am. How oh, interesting! Like, what an interesting yeah, honor. Yeah, it's it, like there are there's a handful of people out there that I know are going to see me for me, and then I give them what I can on a and
1: can you basis. loan them to me because no one sees me for me.
0: Oh, I, mean, I would
1: love to meet them, and maybe I could give them a hundred dollars or
0: something. I, was like, I mean, hell, I'll give you, I'll give you all of them if I can have a Lucy. <laughs> you got an extra Lucy lying around? An extra a, what? An extra Lucy. Oh,
1: an extra Lucy. Oh, yes. Yeah. No, she's one of a kind.
0: Yeah, it's. I mean, there's. There's. A, there's a certain amount of comfort knowing that I've got that type of support mm-hmm. system. But when the li- when life was just happening, right? Right. And you were watching. I. 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 I, I struggled to say like watching the democracy fall apart after 2016. If you're being honest, it was kind of never really there. Yeah. There's always there's it was, always been this. Yeah, I mean, there was there was a for, there was a there was a structure, but and it was and it, and it was relatively sturdy. But then, as I look back at the history, I realized that the covering of that structure was made out of paper mâché.
1: Yeah.
0: And all you had to do was hit it hard enough.
1: But still, even with that democracy, we could laugh at that democracy. We now, if you laugh at it, there are people who will threaten you. Mm-hmm. you know?
0: Well, the people, like when I was younger and I was made fun of a lot as a kid and for yeah. a multitude of reasons, and one of the, one of the things that like, I was told to just kind of keep in mind was, well, they're making fun of you for being smart, so keep doing your work. You'll become their boss, and they'll be working for you one day. See, I
1: was the when- exact opposite. They were making fun of me because that was stupid. No. Yeah yeah which. Is, but then yeah. the thing
0: that happened is is like in a lot of those instances yeah. not just for myself not just for you but for a lot of us some of those bullies were able to make connections and then they got jobs mm-hmm. and they carried away i mean like this guy in la that is trying to make art but he's so up his own butt about the process in which he thinks he's involved in—that he's got to destroy that- a playwright on a daily basis—is Oh yeah, ludicrous. but
1: sitcoms aren't art. Yeah. Sitcoms—I yeah. I couldn't stand it because, you know, the characters were set. The, mm. uh, the you know, you wrote from an outline. Um, none of that's fun. Um, yeah, I—I I, I mean, my, when I left, I had a panic attack because I kept thinking, I—I. I, I, i remember the year i moved i moved to denver from los angeles and my pay fell so badly that when i went in to do my taxes they asked have you had a major illness how could your pay fall from that level to this level mm-hmm. you know um and and, and I, I panicked but in the end it worked out i was happy that i left i i have gone back i've optioned a um, a couple of years ago, I optioned a TV pilot, and I'll, I'll go back now and then. But I—I um, I, I don't know. They, 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 I, sometimes I feel like playwriting is becoming just as censored as mm-hmm. Hollywood. And Hollywood is a heavily censored town. Mm-hmm. If you're working on—I don't know—try to think of a sitcom, King of Queens, which is no longer on, but. If you went in and pitched an idea in which the guy who works for UPS, whatever his character's name was, that he forms a union and the union works beautifully, all right, and it's an episode in which they discover that unions are a great thing, Mm -hmm. you're never going to get that episode produced. The huge corporations that own the sitcoms are never going to allow that on. And mm-hmm. so you self-censor ideas in Hollywood. You you know there's no sense in even pitching them. And I, and I think that's true in playwriting today, too. You self-censor. I self-censor jokes. I, I self-censor ideas. And I go, it'll never be produced if I really state a, an idea. No, I'm not talking about racist, homophobic bullshit. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about just basic ideas. Yeah that you can't There's see.
0: questions in. about the system as a, as a
1: whole. Yeah, and the system's yeah. big.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Where do yeah, you I didn't you mean to bring it Okay, I'll tell a joke because you're all, you're all <laughs> depressed now, so all right. I'll tell, tell a joke, a joke. to pick, pick things up, all right? These all two right. psychiatrists, all right? Okay. Two psychiatrists are heading back into the city after a long weekend. One turns to the other and says, I had a terrible Freudian slip at my mother's house. And the other said, what happened? He said, well, I turned to my mother and I, I meant to say, would you please pass your delicious hot crust buns? And instead I said, you ruined my life, you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> hey, my favorite joke. My favorite joke. My favorite Friday joke.
0: <laughs> so, I got gotta, got a joke. Um, this okay. is an old one. Um, and I'm not going to say stop me if you've heard it because I want to tell the joke. um so there's this so there's this architecture firm and they're running out of money and they're not getting a lot of um they're not getting a lot of clients there's no contracts coming in a lot of people are finding that they're the the ideas that they've been coming up with are getting stale so it's kind of like this glenn glary glenn ross moment the boss brings everybody in and he goes like listen here everybody we're losing money fast and if we don't if we don't get pick up any clients by the end of the month I'm going to make some dramatic layoffs. All right. Mm -hmm. And this one guy, Steve takes this really to heart. He's got a wife. He's got two kids. This is important to him. Being an architect is the only thing that matters to him. So he calls his wife and say, babe, I'm going to take, I'm not going to come home tonight. I will see you in the morning. I've got to go out and I need to be inspired. So that's (laughs) just what he does. He hangs up the phone, he hops in his cab and he just gives the guy a blank amount of cash just to take him all over town. So he can look at other ideas, look at other buildings, look at the world around him and become inspired to create something new and amazing to get a contract to keep his job. And it's not going so well and it's getting late and he's exhausted and they're driving back to the office so he can hop in his car and go home. And And right before they get to his office, they drive past this beautiful hotel that just went up. It's magnificent. It's 80 stories into the air. It's, it, it, it almost defies logic that something this grand could exist that he just now noticed it. He, he pays the cabby, he hops out, and he walks into the hotel. And the lobby is immaculate. There's marble flooring everywhere. It's gold. It's, it's beautiful. Oh, no. he's, 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 he's blown <laughs> away by the grandeur. He's blown away by the grandeur. Mm-hmm. He walks up into the lobby, and there's a little bar area goes to the bar and he orders himself a scotch bartender gives him a scotch he sits there for a little bit just soaking it all in the the scotch the the surroundings the ambience if you will and eventually before he finishes the scotch he brings the bartender over to him and he slides him a 20 and he goes thank you for the drink i'm about to head out is could you know if like the owner is available if you've got um, a, a way i could reach out to the person that designed this building and he goes like the owner Oh yeah. He's at the end of the, he's at the end of the bar. He was like, Oh, then Steve looks over at the end of the bar and there's this guy in a beautiful suit, hang dog face, just sipping his whiskey. Looks like he's been there for a while, but Hey, he owns the place. He doesn't have to drive anywhere. Right. So Steve sends him a drink, buys another and walks on down. And so he goes, Steve walks up to the owner of the hotel and he goes, sir, this, building is amazing. It's, it's breathtaking. I, I, I would love to hear what inspired you. Where did you find these, the, the, the angles and all these things. And the guy goes like, listen, I can't tell you much, except that I built the building so high in the air that you can jump off the top and you float right back on. It's, it's fucking defies gravity. It's amazing. And so Steve is very skeptical. He's a man of math and science. That's not possible. And he and he says whatever, man. Are you sure you can't give me anything beyond this this obvious lie? And the guy goes like, "All right, fine. Fuck you. I'll t- I'll show you." And so they take the drink and they hop in the elevator and they go all the way up to the top of the hotel. And this is great podcast stuff. This long, elaborate joke. So stay with <laughs> me. So Steve and the owner of this hotel hop out and they're on the roof. And the owner finishes his drink and then jumps off the edge of the building and hovers out over the street. 80 floors in the air and floats right back on top. Steve is blown away because he he's still a little skeptical. He doesn't know what's going on. And he dares him to do it again and take a bigger running start this time. So the owner goes like, fine, fuck it. I'll do it. And he runs a couple of laps. He gets up some speed and he jumps even further out over the street below eight 80 floors below. And then he floats right back on top. Steve is convinced that this works. This works. Absolutely works. So he downs his scotch, takes a couple of laps, and then jumps off the roof and boom, splat, dead. Ambulances come. The owner of the hotel climbs down, answers a few questions, and goes back to the bar at this lobby hotel bar. And the bartender walks over and brings him his drink, and eventually, all the ambulances leave, and everyone walks away, and the bartender walks over to him and says, you know what, Superman, you can be a real asshole when you're drunk. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right, now, just a little lesson about but, but comedy. The longer the setup. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the bigger <laughs> joke they expect, you know. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Um, um, and I, I, mine was a setup, set up payoff. Yours was a setup, 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 setup up, setup, setup, set, payoff. Um,
0: yeah, yeah. So what you're telling me is don't quit my day job. <laughs> you know, I don't know,
1: I, I, I can't t- I think people are born with a comedy gene.
0: Yeah.
1: and um, and, and there was that moment for me in that in that theater where I went, holy shit. I'm funny and, and, and I, I, get the timing of, of a joke. Um, mm-hmm. so I, I don't know what it is. I, I, am glad I have it because it's maintained sanity. If in fact, I am safe, yeah. um, which is plenty of doubts about, but I want your audience really to think about what they consider that isn't funny mm-hmm. because what they consider isn't funny is probably where they're insecure. I mean, look at the man who walks into a bar, and um, he he sees his buddies, but his marriage is on the rocks, and his buddies say, hey, you're going to join us for a drink. What happened? Did she kick you out of the house tonight? And he says, no. No, why why would she kick me out? What what are you talking about? Look at the man who's secure in his marriage. He goes out for a drink that evening, walks in. His buddies say, did she kick you out of the house? Yeah, she can't stand me.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: He can joke about himself. And if you can't joke about it, there's probably something, in my opinion, that isn't fully mature about you in that area. You're not fully developed yet. Mm -hmm. Um, Look at young religions that can't laugh at themselves. Uh, Older religions can often laugh at themselves. Um, As you gain confidence of who you are, your sense of humor develops.
0: No. And
1: as a result, I think we have a lot of very insecure people about their identity, who they are, what they want to be. And it's tough to be in the theater with insecure people. You know, we should be the most secure. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. We get up in front and make idiots out of ourselves.
0: I, I bill you brought up an interesting point and I want to ask you if you feel comfortable answering it okay. with your with your childhood is, is there something you yourself are insecure about making jokes about before this new world of censorship developed for you was there something oh, that yeah. you wouldn't touch on
1: uh dogs mm. I, I'm a dog lover if you told a joke about you know executing a dog, I could probably see myself, unless it was really funny. It would have to be pretty damn funny, uh, uh, you know, a great payoff. Uh, but uh, yeah, I could see myself uh, going, oh, but I don't believe in my lifetime I've ever uttered the words, that's not funny. Although I thought about it with the joke you just told a moment ago, but I, I, I censored myself. <laughs>
0: I'm so sorry. If the joke hits me. I've got to say it. You know. No, no, no. That's that's <laughs> that's the perfect response to that joke. I do. Apologize. My favorite thing about telling that joke is that I I like to make it longer and longer and longer. Really? I've never given the guy a name before, so this is. The but first can I'm I advise against
1: that? It's just, uh, you know, if you go to an act break with it, it's too long. You know, I.
0: Uh... Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's you've got me there. I'm, sorry, I'm me just there. teasing. I'm, I'm no, joking. no, no. Don't, Don't apologize. Back. I can, mm-hmm. I can take, I, I can usually take a gentle rib now and then. Yeah, yeah. but our me.
1: situation on this earth is absurd. Mm-hmm. We are absolutely, I mean, uh, uh, the writer of, of um, uh, Will Durant, Will and Ariel Durant, some of my favorite writers, the historian said that if we really looked at our situation on this earth, we'd hang ourselves from the nearest tree. Mm-hmm. Nietzsche said something very similar. Uh, saying something like "We need art in order not to kill ourselves." It's not a direct quote, but it's in the ballpark. Yeah. Um, we need laughter in order to survive this absurd existence. Mm-hmm. And and those who are saying, again, I'm not talking about homophobic, misogynistic, racist bullshit. I'm not talking about that. Mm-hmm. But those who cut off the joke and and, and and are afraid to even laugh at our situation on this earth. Um, um they're driving us closer to insanity mm-hmm. and, and and you can see it you know that young kids today, you know their, their mental illness. so I' read someplace it was in the New Yorker or something like something like 50 percent report report mental problems and mm-hmm. mental illness and 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 every young awesome. person that I meet walks up to me and they just they go, yeah, I, I saw my psychiatrist and I'm like, you know when I was growing up we never mentioned that, you know, that was, that was, that was hidden, you know? Um, and, and I'm like, why are you telling me this, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. can, can I tell you a joke, you know? Can I make you laugh for a second? And they just, you, you can see their sphincters tighten, you know? You, you oh, can't yeah. laugh if your sphincter is tightened all the time, you know, <laughs> it's, it's directly contrary to laughter.
0: That's, that's how I act. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I'm I'm lying on stage when my yeah. butt gets tight. I'm just like, yeah, oh, my, my butt,
1: butt gets tight. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. You need a loose sphincter in order to really have a sense of humor.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah. So yeah,
0: I but heard bran helps. What does bran? <laughs> high fiber diets. Everybody, I cannot stress that enough. Stay yeah. regular. Stay happy. Keep laughing. <laughs>
1: Keep laughing. <laughs> yeah and, and um, God, if, if, if I hadn't laughed, what, what I'd been through,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know? Um, one thing that's amazing that's happening to me lately is I'm getting produced overseas.
0: Oh.
1: I, um, I, I, was, I was in a farmer's market and my phone rang. And it was a woman with a thick Russian, a German accent. And mm-hmm. she said, we like your play. I was like, what? Hello? We like your play. Your your comedy is very Jewish. Are you Jewish? And I'm like, I'm like, holy shit! What is this? And, you know, my wife is a voice and dialects expert, and I couldn't understand, so I handed it to her because she could get any dialect. And mm. turned out to be a legitimate theater in Vienna, mm. wanting to, to translate a play of mine into German. And wow. I flew to Vienna, and Lou and I saw it. And funnier in German, apparently. Um, But I went to South Korea and saw a play, a comedy of mine there. I saw a comedy of mine in Spain. Um, Just last month, I had a play, a comedy of mine in Russia. Um, And so, comedy is usually more limited to a particular country. Mm -hmm. What's funny to us is not funny in France, you know? And and I've, I've now been produced in 14 countries. And I, I'm, I'm rather amazed. So I think absurdist comedy, what I write, mm-hmm. not jokes, um, you know, translates to other languages, which comforts me that there's some, some hope that mm-hmm. other people are, are realizing that they have to laugh at the absurdity of life.
0: Do you find with all that you've accomplished and built for yourself, here, yeah. coming across those personalities that seem to want to deny everything about you at crucial junctures of your life did did you ever go like yeah what now what now college professor no or or does that not exist for you that form of ego
1: every single note they gave me every time they told me i was a failure i took it dead to heart Hmm. i i uh, every bad review i go home and cry and but i'm very persistent um, I, I write every day. Um, and as soon as I start writing again, I forget the criticism.
0: Hmm.
1: And um, uh, no, I mean, I remembered them in this, they haunt me. I mean, I, I was standing in, in, in my sophomore year in high school. I was, I was standing in the shower after gym class. And the coolest kid in the, in the uh, school walked up to me. And he was standing right next to me, right here. And he said, how you doing, Bill? And I said, yeah, fine. <laughs> what? And everyone in the shower started laughing. And I'm like, what's going on? And I looked down. And he was peeing on me. Wow. You know, that happened to me when I was 16 years old. I remember it exactly, and I know his name. And every now and then, I think about wild, wonderful bits of revenge. And usually, it's funny revenge. And it makes me laugh, you know? Yeah. Now, I'm not immune. Um, I think playwrights, it's hard for playwrights because you know, we give it up. I, um, we walk away. A good playwright does, at least. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, actors will, I've had actors screw up a play, <laughs> directors screw up plays. I've had them save plays also. And then, of course, the review comes out. What is it? The director's local, the actors are local. So, what does the critic do? Who the hell is this playwright? That must be the one. They attack the playwright. And it's, oh, I've had some bad reviews and some horrible moments in the theater where. Where I, I, I mean, it was so bad I couldn't get air into my lungs, mm-hmm. and and I and I had no control over the production, you know, I I had no say, and and I call Lucy and and she's very comforting, and then I get up the next morning and write. Yes. I again. Um, I'll tell you the story of the worst thing that ever happened to me in the theater. All right. Uh, I went to, I went to a theater. It was out uh, outside of New York City and they didn't have money. They said they couldn't fly me in. But just before the play opened, they said, we've got a patron donate an airline ticket. We're flying you in. And I went and it was a comedy. And it was one of those where they the first joke got a laugh. The second joke got half a laugh. The third joke got a, half that. And after that, the play went right into the toilet audience fell out of it. And then the actors tried to go over the top, trying to bring the audience back, which of course sunk it. Well, at intermission, I walk out into the lobby and they've put up a picture of me, a life-size picture saying the playwright. And of course, I want to be the playwright. I want to hide. I don't want people to know I'm the playwright. You know, I want to listen to conversations about the play. Well, I walk out into the parking lot and there is a traffic jam of cars, a massive traffic jam of cars trying to get out. (laughs) That's when I saw the bar across the street. And so I missed the second act, I went across the street, and in 45 minutes, second act, I drove up an $89 bar bill. I was drunk out of my mind. Now, they had put me up at a house, a beautiful wealthy person's house four stories tall. I had the the loft at the very top. And when I left to go to the theater that night, they said, here's the key. Look, we're going into New York for tonight. So just let yourself in, Um, take anything you want out of the refrigerator and we'll see you in the morning. Right? So I stagger home, drunk out of my mind. I mean, I am, I mean, nearly pissing my pants drunk. I open the front door I walk in, I'm so drunk, I'm dehydrated. I go into the kitchen, I open up this beautiful, absolutely massive refrigerator. There's a thing of water. I take it out, I close the door and sitting there in the darkness at a little kitchenette is the wealthy family's 16 year old daughter who they forgot to tell that I was spending the night. Oh no. And she starts to go, oh my god who are you who are you and I'm going, oh my god you know i said i'm harmless i'm a playwright you know and she says i'm your parents i'm staying here i'm with the theater and they go what are my parents names and i'm like i'm so frigging drunk i can't remember <laughs> i met them for two minutes they handed me a key and left well at this point i got her calmed down i said my suitcase is upstairs my suitcase i went up I, uh, on, the, on the second level, the 17 year old son came out with a baseball bat. Yes, and I had to go through the whole thing again. I finally went upstairs, fell asleep. I left the next morning, took the train back into the city, and picked up the New York Times. And it said my play. Oh, they, they, the New York Times was there. I forgot to oh. put that part in. It oh, said the play was the unendurable. Lead. <laughs> and they were right, it was unendurable. And I, 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 in the next morning, after I sobered up, I wrote. Mm. Yeah.
0: Back so I've,
1: again. I've had some, I've had chest pains. I was at a theater once. The play was so bad that I started having angina and I was like going, I think I'm having a heart attack. There's, you know, do, it's a comedy. Do they know what cue pickups are? Oh, for <laughs> God's sake, pick up your cues, you know, um, so I don't go to my plays very much. And I don't go to a rehearsal unless I'm asked. And I try to let the, the theater company do their thing mm. and, and walk away and go, you know, give me the royalty and let me take my wife out to dinner and we'll, we'll laugh at dinner tonight.
0: Oh, man. Yeah. Is there, is it hard to separate yourself from your work normally? You no, know, because I, You've I hated being an actor
1: because I had to ask permission to do my art. Mm-hmm. I heard that said on several of your podcasts. They didn't. They, they don't like having asked permission but through the but through the audition process.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I get to practice my art every day. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was, I was laughing. I, I was laughing my, my ass off this morning, uh, writing a colostomy bag joke. I, I, I gotta say, it's genius. It's, it's friggin' genius. I don't know if it'll go into the work in the end, but at least I was laughing at it. You know.
0: I'm here for it. I'm here for it. I worked in hospice care for five years. I know all, all the ins and outs.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: So to I mean, speak.
1: If you had a colostomy bag, you got to laugh about it.
0: You know? You really do. Yeah. Really it was do. a
1: joke about a webinar for colostomy bag survivors. And I <laughs> I, I was, I was, um, I, I was laughing pretty hard. Uh, um and, and that's what I like it. I I have two moments when I'm writing that I love. I love when I when I write something, and as I say, I don't write joke jokes, but mm-hmm. I, I when it's when it's funny when I when the absurdity of life, and I laugh and I go, okay, there it is. And the other moment I, I call the crying moment, where I, I suddenly the theme comes clear. It's usually around the fifth or ninth draft of something. I suddenly start crying for no one. An uncontrollable reason and I suddenly I suddenly realize what the play is about what its purpose what my subconscious has been trying to tell me mm. and I, I love those moments those quiet moments at three in the morning when the house and the world are quiet and it's just me and the computer screen and the characters and they're talking to me mm. and, and life is good
0: how that's that's an amazing I, I loved loved hearing that, that, that perspective on your process. How else does it manifest for you? Do you just, does a voice, a joke, a a situation in life come to you and then you just start writing?
1: Yeah. I come up with, I don't follow scenarios. I don't Mm -hmm. write outlines. I come up with a little bit of dialogue and add to it and add to it and add to it. And uh, surprises occur. I write myself into corners. I love to write myself into a corner where there's Mm -hmm. no way out. It's a failure. Because if I can write my way out of it, then I know I came up with a unique twist that the audience never saw coming. Mm-hmm. Um, I start every day on page one and I rewrite until whatever page I'm on, and then I go back to page one. If I'm on page 98, I rewrite from page one to page 98 and then add page 99.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's a laborious process. Um, the only advantage I have, as you know, as a playwright is I'm willing to put in time. And I think a lot of people don't realize that if you added up all the time that all the actors spent auditioning and rehearsing and performing the play, all the time the the uh, actors, the director spent directing, all the time the the lighting designer, costume designers, the, the, everyone made the costumes, if you added up all that time, all those human hours to put that performance up, the playwright put more time in than every other person in the theater combined for a single production. So, so it's, it's, it's a very time consuming process. Yeah. Filled with failure. (laughs) All right. I've been talking too long.
0: Oh, well, we've talked for an hour and 10 minutes. This has been great. This has been great. I've been loving, I've been loving hearing
1: very kind
0: just everything. Well, I mean, it's, I, I talk to actors and I talk to directors and the occasional stand up comic, maybe a stage manager here or there, the, the perspective, the voice that I've been trying to get that, that I haven't gotten to yet is the person that gives us the words to speak and, and to hear about the journey that you've gone on, yeah. where your voice comes from, what you're afraid about is continuing your career. all of those yeah these are these are real things and i'm thankful that you shared that with me
1: as a matter of fact i'm so concerned about it that for the first time in 25 years Mm -hmm. i've written one play a year for 25 years one full-length play a year this Mm -hmm. is the first time in my career since for 25 years that i'm not writing a play Mm -hmm. I'm, i'm currently working on a novella i think it's going to be a novel it's it's got 180 pages now so i think it's getting closer to a novel, because. Um, for the first time in my life, I have a backlog of comedies. Mm. I, I never, I, I, once I produced, wrote a play, within a year, 18 months, two years tops, some theater would pick it up, it would win a playwriting contest, it would win a, a rolling premiere from the National New Play Network, something would happen and it would get done. And now I've got a backlog of three plays. And I went, interesting, interesting. Something has fundamentally changed. And so I'm, I'm trying something a little different. Mm-hmm. See if I can. So, if anyone out there is looking for a comedy, I've got couch comedies, I've got absurdist comedies, I've got um, uh, uh, you name it. I've, I've, I've written everything from kabuki plays to, to sitcoms um, and everything in between. And you're looking for a playwright who's easy to work with, i.e., doesn't show up. <laughs> unless directly asked, um, and wants to do a, 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 maybe a world premiere in Denver. Wouldn't that be great to do a world premiere of a now a local playwright and something funny? I, I, here, and here's my philosophy. I think I go to the theater too often, and when I get done, I'm exhausted. Mm-hmm. I'm tired at the end of plays. And I think when, when a play is over, you should, you should be hopping, skipping out of the theater. Even if it's a tragedy, you should be full of life. Mm. I went to see uh, Crucible a couple of years ago because a friend was in it. And I, 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 three hours later, my ass was asleep and, and I've seen Crucible, I've read it, I've known it all my life. And I'm sitting there and it was like every other damn production of Crucible. And as I walked away from the theater, suddenly I was hit by joy my heart lifted because it occurred to me that i'm old enough now that i'll probably die before i have to see crucible again
0: um we're going to do the crucible at miners alley <laughs> later shit. this fall shit. and i'm i'm now going to send you an invitation shit cuz I, I write a it. comedy
1: version of it for you
0: perfect bring it on bring i it will on.
1: i'll write a comic version crucible with joe come on you got to admit yeah you got to admit plays like that would be much better. Death of a Salesman. Yeah, Come yeah. on. That would make a much better comedy. I'm I mean, with you. there would be a long speech at the end where, where Willie Loman apologizes to his sons for giving them such stupid names. Mm-hmm. Biff. And happy, and mm-hmm. and he would, he would turn to his sons, who are now named Ian and 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 Ben, and and they get into the car and tell jokes and drive off and crash into a tree. But they were died laughing. That would be a much better play.
0: I'm I'm with you. If you I'm I'm playing Giles Corey. Oh uh, my wanna, god! Yeah. So if you want to, you want to write oh, one, write right the crucible through the perspective of Giles Corey, this old curmudgeon. Let's, let's go. Let's effing go.
1: All right. All right. I <laughs> see. Okay. We'll, we'll cut that out. That's the part yeah. we'll edit.
0: Rubik's cube. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Rubik's cube. Cut it out. <laughs> All right. We should cut this off because people have listened way too long.
0: Well then, so then let me ask you, Yes. what is that ghost light you wish was left on for you when you started your career? that piece of advice that you'd hand down to the next gen?
1: I found that things went best um, when I didn't have a plan.
0: Mm.
1: Um, When I didn't set goals, I am going to be such and such by this date. Um, Then I was open to things happening. Um, When I didn't try to, to look I mean, I've been very, very lucky, because a lot of young playwrights, they're a flash in the pan. They come out of grad school, and they're hot. They get the big play that goes to the regional theaters, and five years later, you never hear from them again, and I've been lucky to have a 30-year career that's been slow, but absolutely steady, absolutely steady with productions, and and I think it's because I always concentrated on the day, not the overall plan, Uh, the... uh, the, uh, the, uh, the artist Banksy.
0: Mm-hmm. He
1: said, You don't eat a meal so you can take a shit. All you right. Know, I, I love taking my wife out to dinner, my wife out to dinner. I don't turn her and so, hey sweetheart, you know, I need to take a dump tomorrow. Let's go out to dinner. You're, yeah. you're getting things confused if you do that. So if you're mm-hmm. constantly thinking what the goal is instead of writing a great line of dialogue, creating an interesting character that an actor loves to play and a director loves to direct, and just let that be your purpose for today and let the long-term stuff take care of itself. Then the long-term takes care of itself. Absolutely. And I started off so poor and now I live in a beautiful condo and I'm... I'm, 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 I'm got royalties and residuals and and life is good because I worried about the line of dialogue the rehearsal not the finished product it took care of itself never have a plan
0: never have a plan mm. never have a plan Bill Mr. William Missouri Downs the man the state the legend thank you so much for <laughs> sitting down with us <laughs>
1: God, I wish it wasn't Missouri. You know, I wish it was a, a more liberal state. You know, wouldn't it be you know, like William, I, I don't know, Massachusetts Downs. I think that would be better. You know,
0: <laughs> there you go, Mass- I love it. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. <laughs> William California Downs. Yeah, California
1: Downs. I like there you that. Go. Call me Kelly for sure.
0: Definitely. Definitely. Um, ladies and gentlemen, Ghosties, thank you so much for joining us. In the words of Van Wilder. Don't take life too seriously. You'll never get out alive. In the words of Ferris Bueller, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. That's my uh, Matthew Broderick impersonation. Keep laughing. Please tell your friends to subscribe and enjoy the Ghost Lights podcast. And do yourself a favor. Look up William Missouri Downs. Read some of his work. It'll definitely bring a smile to your face. Dan, do the damn thing. show up for the leaves to take a, a walk around Cheeseman with their dogs. Absolutely, yes. Perfect. Mine's 14. Mine is 8. No oh, okay. teeth. And I'm getting a tumor removed off his butt. It's, it's got to happen. Good. You just laughed at a dog joke. <laughs> got you. I got you. Yes. <laughs>